Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. I'm Daniel Prusen, spokesperson of the WTO. In this final episode of our season about the major outcomes of the 12th WTO Ministerial Conference in June 2022, you'll be hearing about WTO reform, what it means, and how it could affect the organization and multilateral trade in general. You will also find out about the state of affairs in discussions on e-commerce. So, let's talk trade. Excellencies, you're not going home empty-handed. The package of agreements you have reached will make a difference to the lives of people around the world. You found a way to extend the e-commerce moratorium along with the work program, thus preserving the enabling environment the WTO provides to the global digital economy and the millions of businesses and jobs that depend on it. And amid the widespread recognition that the WTO's core functions need to be updated and improved, you have initiated a member-driven process of institutional reform. That was WTO Director General Ngozi Okonjo-Iwala at the closing session of MC12. The WTO celebrated its 27th birthday last January, which is still a sprightly young age in the world of international organizations. But think what the world was like back in 1995. Mobile phones had spotty connections and astronomic calling fees, computer programs were loaded up using floppy disks, and those privileged enough to have internet access connected with dial-up modems. And an ambitious company called Amazon sold its first book online in July of that year. The world of trade has changed enormously since then as well. First, the world trades a lot more. From just over $5 trillion in 1995 to more than $22 trillion in 2021. Second, the world trades in new ways. E-commerce accounts for more than 20% of total retail sales worldwide. Supply chains have also revolutionized trade, leading to the rise of products made in the world. Despite this transformation, the WTO and the rules of trade remain largely unchanged. Even now, the organization does not have an agreement addressing e-commerce. Decision-making, based on the consensus principle, that is, every member has a veto right, has made negotiating new trade agreements difficult. Work on reducing tariffs on industrial goods, liberalizing services trade, and reforming agriculture trade remain stuck. The WTO's dispute settlement system, once heralded as the jewel in the crown of the organization, has been weakened by the slow attrition and eventual disappearance of its appellate body. So it's no surprise that calls for reforming the WTO and its rules have grown in recent years. This culminated in the adoption of the MC12 outcome document by ministers where, for the first time, members agreed to undertake a comprehensive review of the WTO's functions in order to ensure the organization can respond more effectively to the realities of the 21st century. What will WTO reform entail, and what can we expect? With us to provide answers and explanations are two people who are in the midst of those negotiations. My name is uh, Joanna Pechu. I'm a counselor in the Council TNC Division, WTO Secretariat. TNC Division, that's short for the Trade Negotiations Committee, the division that deals with ongoing trade talks. And I'm Didier uh, Chambovet, permanent representative of Switzerland to the WTO and chairman of the uh, WTO General Council. Ambassador Chambovet, Joan, welcome. Thank you for joining us. First question I want to ask you both, uh, how did you survive 
the 12th ministerial conference. Uh, how long did you go without sleep? What was your survival diet or survival food? What was your comfort food that got you through? How did I survive MC12? I really don't know how I survived, but I survived. Uh, how long did I go without sleep? I started going without sleep even way before MC12, but the standard time that everybody speaks about is this so-called 48 hours of completely no sleep, particularly on the Thursday and Friday. Food, oh my, there was a lot of uh, sandwiches around, but you know, my food that really took me through was this Twix. I had all this Twix chocolate that was put there by a colleague, so that was my survival diet. Caffeine diet. Ambassador? It's right. I mean, when you start the missile meeting, you have behind you already uh, many weeks of very intensive work. So you're certainly not in the best of shape, but you know uh, that what's coming up is going to be even harder. And I was um, bracing for a sleepless night. What I did not expect uh, was two sleepless nights. It's something uh, rather unique in the history of uh, WTO missile meetings. I mean, you have to uh, dig very deep in your vital energy, to be frank. It takes a toll and it took time to recover. But of course, in the end, as we had a successful outcome, it, it has been very helpful. And uh, clearly, um, it was very motivating as we were progressing in the talks to see that uh, results uh, could be achieved. Food. At the beginning, you have good resolution. You know, say, okay, I'm, I'm going to drink water, I'm going to eat biscuit and fruit, but you end up drinking lots of coffee and sandwiches and everything you can grab on the tables. Members adopted at the end of the meeting this MC12 outcome document um, addressing a range of issues, not only WTO reform, but others. Um, first thing I want to know for those who are, don't follow um, the nitty gritty of the WTO discussions, why was this called an outcome document? Uh, was there any um, significance to that? Well, it ended up being called an outcome document, but what we were working towards in the beginning was to have a multilaterally agreed um, statement or message from ministers that defined the conference, you know, seeing the um, challenges and the context within which the conference was happening. So the idea was whatever the name, it was the messaging that ministers were going to send. So we started off with, okay, let's call it outcome document. Eventually, we will probably get to a ministerial declaration. Or at some point, we're not even sure, Ambassador, if we're going to end up with a chair's summary. So we couldn't title the document at, at the very start. But I think what is important is not what the document is called. I think what is important is what it symbolizes, that ministers could come together and send out a multilaterally agreed message from 164 of them about the WTO, about the global challenges that we were confronted with, Ambassador Shambhavi, one of the things the outcome document addresses is WTO reform, as I mentioned. Um, can you explain a little bit how important this is to the members and to the membership in general? And then who will decide how these discussions will advance? WTO reform is an issue uh, that has been broached for quite some time in the context of the WTO. Uh, there has been an agreement to improve all the WTO functions. Uh, and, and I believe uh, all members uh, will certainly uh, participate in this effort. It's not only about the negotiating function, the monitoring function, it's also about the dispute settlement functions. And we have a commitment in the uh, outcome document to reach an outcome on dispute settlement by 24, to quote from the document. But it's not the only issue. I think one important issue is what Joan mentioned. There is in this outcome document a clear commitment to multilateralism. And it came 
at the right moment, at the moment when the international community was facing many challenges, the geopolitical situation, the food crisis, inflation, disruptions in supply chains. I think it was extremely important that there's been a reaffirmation of this commitment to multilateralism. And the document contains an array of uh, other decisions, follow-up work that will have to be undertaken by members, in particular in favor of the least developed countries. This came at a very inauspicious time. All those factors you mentioned, the COVID-19 pandemic, preceding that, there were the US-China trade tensions, um, well, tensions between a number of members in general. Do you ever remember going into a ministerial conference, either of you, with the, the clouds so dark on the horizon? Yes, Doha 2001, after the 9th, 11th. This was also a situation that was rather tense. And again, we had in Doha a quite strong response from the multilateral system and from the international community to launch those WTO negotiations with a very ambitious agenda. There are a lot of ideas, Joan, circulating on reform, and many proposals have already been tabled. What is likely to be discussed or even agreed upon? Can we say anything at this point to what that agenda will contain? I wish I had a crystal ball. I wish I had a magic wand to really predict this. You know, it's like almost asking me to predict the result of a football game (laughs) before it has started. It won't be easy. For members, they all have ideas on reform. Reform means different things for different members. They will bring ideas to the table. In fact, there are already proposals on the table and we're talking with Ambassador Shambove, asking ourselves, will they want to recast these proposals in light of uh, the mandate that has been agreed on WTO reform? So it's not an easy one to predict. We don't know how it will go. Some things might seem easy. We do not know. But I think one significant thing that I can say, or one thing that I see is the importance of dispute settlement reform. That's one area that many members agree is important. I'm not saying the rest are not, but it's significant, especially in a rules-based um, uh, system. What is important is the commitment to carry out reform, which is something we've not seen in, in a WTO document before. So I think that's good. The devil will be in the details. We'll see how the process carries on under the leadership of Ambassador Shambove. On the reference to WTO reform, it's rather brief in the outcome document. It's one paragraph, but apparently it took some time to agree on the language regarding where in the WTO, these discussions should take place. I was wondering if both of you can tell us a little bit about that matter and how it was resolved. It was resolved in the sense that um, there's been an agreement that the reform should be uh, conducted by the General Council and its subsidiary bodies. At the same time, it has to be member-driven. That is, that there will be different ways of working on the reform. It can be done very informally. It can be done in the context of the regular work of the WTO bodies. And it's really up to members to decide what they will come up with. There are a number of ideas on the table already pertaining to the reform. Now, it's up to members to see how they would like to structure this debate and what kind of ideas they would like to put forward first. When I did a count, there were more than 30 reform-related proposals that were tabled in advance of uh, MC12. So the status of those proposals are basically that they would be reintroduced or that they would be considered automatically part of the reform discussions? I think that's something that we'll see and, and wait for members because all those proposals are on the table. No one has withdrawn anything. So the question is, like Ambassador was saying, how do we recast it in this new phase? It really depends on the proponents, what they want to do with them in this new phase. 
And Ambassador Shambhavay, the outcome document refers specifically to dispute settlements and commits WTO members to discussions with the view of having a fully and well-functioning dispute settlement system by 2024. Now, you were the former chair of the dispute settlement body, so you know quite a bit about dispute settlement. What hopes are there for resolving this long-standing issue by that time? And what are the core issues that need to be addressed? Long silence there. Mm, no, I mean, that's, it's not an easy question because it's, 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 hard, it's very hard to predict. I would rather pass <laughs> if I can. <laughs> you are entitled to a pass, yes. But there are a lot of other elements to this outcome document which perhaps didn't get the attention that they deserve. What would you highlight from uh, that document that maybe perhaps the general public might have missed? There are a number of interesting um, ideas in that outcome document. And also just to, to put a bit of context as well, when we started this outcome document drafting, it was in the context of the pandemic. So in the beginning, it was very pandemic focused with uh, the way things evolved. We had to align it, adjust it accordingly. But there are a number of interesting things we find for the first time, at least a formal acknowledgement of the concept of graduation. We've not seen that in the WTO document before. Graduation referring to? It's when an LDC has reached a development level that it does not qualify any longer to be a least developed country. This country is becoming a developing country. In the categories of developing countries, we have two groups. We have those who are the poorer, the least developed, and the others. And the least developed, I mean, to be in this category, you have to meet a number of criteria in terms of economic and social development that are uh, set by the United Nations. It's very objective. And once you are not any longer meeting those criteria, it means once you have developed, which is good news in a sense, you are leaving this category. But it comes along with some change in your status, in particular, some benefits that you are receiving from other members because there is a possibility to, for instance, grant tariff preferences to least developed countries that you're not granting to the other members to give them a competitive advantage over the other members and to allow them to sell their products under preferential conditions to win market shares and to foster their economic development. And when you're graduating, therefore the word graduating, um, normally you're using this kind of uh, preferential treatment. And uh, these developed countries are saying, look, I mean, we cannot do this so abruptly. We need more time. And that's what they are asking for. The fact that in the WTO framework for the first time, that concept is mentioned in a document, I think was something that, that was fundamental. I think it's also interesting to see uh, there's a paragraph on services and the role of services, including in the context of the pandemic, there are a number of LDC-related issues. But what was also important was this kind of inclusivity paragraphs to recognize uh, the role of uh, MISMIS, micro-small medium enterprises, uh, women's economic empowerment, but also sustainable development uh, and also the role of environment in a document explicitly. There is a lot of follow-up work, uh, not only on the outcome document, but on the other decisions. We made a number of decisions. We have uh, seven documents, and in each of them, you have follow-up work to be undertaken of uh, some importance, sometime with deadline. It means that a number of WTO bodies will certainly uh, have to go down to work very quickly and seek a concrete outcome 
this notion of member-driven is pervasive in WTO. Really, we cannot do anything with other members. If we manage to have a positive outcome at this uh, municipal meeting, it's because members have made the collective efforts towards the same goal and they have been constructive, they have been creative, they talk to each other really during the uh, municipal conference. The fact that ministers were here has been extremely helpful. It has allowed to break a number of deadlocks. It has allowed to bridge gaps uh, and to create a positive momentum uh, during the talks. I don't believe we would have made it without ministers, to be frank. It was fascinating for me who works with the WTO to see standing in the hallways and you were seeing ministers negotiating, literally talking to each other in the hallways, exchanging ideas, mm-hmm. I don't recall ever seeing that in the WTO in my past. Have you ever seen anything like that, um, this, this sort of exchanges that were going on, this really intensive period of negotiation? This is happening at all municipal meetings where you have an outcome. This kind of exchanges in different formats among different people, in particular if their positions are far apart. It's important that they talk to each other. And then, of course, we have to build up consensus. It's very important to have a process that is as transparent and inclusive as possible, even if during ministerial meeting, sometimes you lack time uh, and uh, the business is not unfolding uh, as orderly as, as you may have wished. The fact that um, the ministerial meeting was confined to the site of the WTO made a difference. Participation was limited. Access to the building was limited. So we have fewer people. Uh, and perhaps we had more interaction. Uh, the premises are more familiar to everyone. The missions are not far away as well. So this has probably also contributed uh, to uh, enhance interaction among members. But this being said, we had successful municipal meeting uh, outside Geneva. So perhaps we can look forward to some uh, future ministerial conferences in Geneva. Speaking as his ambassador of Switzerland, I'm sure he'd be delighted with that. Joan, you wanted to add something. For me, the fact that ministers had last physically been together to meet five years ago, I think also made the difference. The fact that it's taken long for them to come together in person for a ministerial conference. And also seeing what the world had just faced. We'd come out from a serious pandemic that was unprecedented. We had a food crisis looming. We had the geopolitical tensions that are out there. I think with all these factors, what I saw in ministers was this determination, this commitment to want to deliver something as ministers responsible for this organization, to give this organization life again. Because we've read the media, we've seen what people have been saying, that you're getting irrelevant and all of this. So I think you could see it in their eyes. Yes, they've negotiated in the past, but there was something different. There was something special about this. There was this commitment to deliver for the organization. Do you think that negativity, the fact that so many people were saying the WTO can't deliver anymore, it's outdated, the world has changed, do you think that played a role in any way? What was the tipping point that brought ministers together to say, okay, let's put our differences aside, let's see how we can come together and, and deliver an outcome? Clearly, there has been a lot of debate uh, before the ministerial meeting and a lot of criticism of the WTO of uh, its ability to deliver any concrete outcome. And I have to say, uh, expectations at the outset were rather low. Almost all my colleagues are acknowledging that what we achieved was beyond expectations. 
I would say that yes, yes, perhaps ministers, they felt this responsibility to revive, to revitalize the organization and to do their best in special circumstances because a response was expected from the international community. And I believe they realized this and they have assumed their responsibility. This played a role, I'm sure. I wonder if I can talk a little bit with you, Ambassador Chambove, about um, the results on electronic commerce and the work program. It turned out to be a bit of a nail-biter in the end, with some real doubts as to whether members would renew the existing moratorium on customs duties applicable to electronic transmissions, a moratorium that has been in place since 1998. What happened at MC12 to overcome that hurdle and get an agreement to extend it? And what is the significance of this agreement? I was a bit astonished, to be frank. When we started the meeting, we had two proposals. We were not even able to agree on a single document. One proposal was an extension of the moratorium and uh, the work program that goes together with the moratorium and another draft that was only dealing with the extension of, of the work program. And something uh, definitely uh, happened uh, during the initial meeting. It was important for some key players to have an outcome on e-commerce. And in the end, it worked out. Again, beyond my expectations, but it was a pleasant surprise. It was a pleasant surprise. Now we have extended the moratorium at least until March 24. But at the same time, clearly, uh, we have to intensify work on the meaning of the moratorium, uh, on its impact, uh, because it's part of the deal. As you mentioned, an important part of this decision is that commitment to the work program, addressing a number of those concerns that um, mainly developing countries had about the impact of the moratorium over time, the fact that electronic commerce has changed so much since that moratorium was first adopted in 1998. That's absolutely right. I mean, a lot happened uh, since 1998. Uh, the digital economy has considerably expanded. Uh, and these are uh, all elements that have to be factored in the debate. We still have a controversial debate. I have to admit this. Uh, and uh, I believe it's important that members now are talking to each other instead of talking at each other and looked into the facts and looked into reality and what it means on the ground. Um, it may mean different things for different members. More generally, at what point um, you felt that everything was coming together or not coming together, was there at any point at MC12 where you thought, uh-oh, we're in trouble here? Or were you confident from the start that everything would fall into place? Joan? I mean, like every conference, things are unpredictable. You start well, then things go down, they go up, down, up. So it, it's like that. But I think in general, personally, I was cautiously optimistic from the start. I know it's difficult for people to believe that, but I had this intuition. I had this optimism. Why? Because I'd seen the work that had gone into this. The work from Ambassador Shambove himself as a GC chair. GC, that's short for general counsel. The work that the director general had put in the work that members had put in, the work the Secretariat had also done to prepare the conference. And I could also see during the conference the commitment from delegations, the commitment from ministers, that whatever it takes, we will not let this go down this time. I'm not saying there were no moments where you're, oh my God, maybe things might not happen. But even with those moments, I was still cautiously optimistic that we would make it. I want to touch upon that a little bit, what this outcome means for multilateralism, because the counterfactual, if this ministerial conference had failed, is a bit um, 
hard to think about if for those who believe in the WTO that we may have been heading towards more of a regional breakdown of trade. So how important was this for the multilateral trading system given the current context that we're living in? What would have happened if it had been a failure? And a scenario that we could not rule out at the, at the outset. And it's clear uh, this would have been extraordinarily detrimental to the work that we're doing here, to multilateralism. This being said, we have a concrete outcome. It's a good outcome, but it's not the end. It's a basis to build. We have to work further on that basis. There are a number of mandates. We also have to deliver on those mandates. Sometimes uh, before the ministerial meeting, you heard people saying the WTO is not relevant uh, any longer. Uh, they will fail and the organization will go down the drain. I do not agree with this. Even if we had not reached all the outcomes that we have reached, the organization would have remained quite relevant. We have not seen some things like the dismantling of uh, those multilateral rules. Uh, of course, uh, we have a dysfunctional dispute settlement system, and it is important to restore the functioning of the dispute settlement system. But on the other hand, we have not seen the system falling apart. Because I believe, and it's my conviction, that members, they realize that abiding by the rule is also in their interest, even if this um, settlement does not function as, uh, as it should be functioning. And this is also the reason why they have exercised some restraint, even if, of course, they, there are tensions, uh, even if some protectionist measures have been imposed. But this has not destroyed the global economy. Global value chains are still there. If you look at the figures, the global economy is still functioning, even if there are disruption in the supply chain. But we see how dependent we are on the supply chain, on this global economy. And I believe and I hope that this global economy will continue to function to the benefit of all people, because it has brought about a lot of benefits. If you look uh, at some countries, which managed to integrate in global trade, and through disintegration into global trade, they also managed uh, to lift the living standards of their population at a level that was unthinkable uh, 20 or 30 years ago. So this is still there, and this is what we need to preserve. It is important. So clearly, we're facing difficulties. We know the pandemic took a toll. Uh, has a big impact on the functioning of the uh, global value chain. Now we have geopolitical tensions, we have inflation, uh, we have other challenges to face. Uh, but I believe um, these challenges can be better faced if we have a well-functioning global economy. I wonder if I could ask, if you could share an anecdote from MC12, an interesting thing that happened that we might find um Maybe not amusing, but uh, at least interesting. No, an interesting thing that happened was we had this room D. That's the meeting room where some of the main negotiations at MC12 took place. Really, for me, the transparency room. But at a certain time, we had negotiations that had to be going on in other formats. So delegations had to entertain themselves. And room D, frankly, became the karaoke room, which is something you'd never believe would happen in the course of a negotiation. And at the point, I told myself, all right, let me just have a power nap. So I put up my pillow under my desk and I said, set my alarm for literally 10 minutes. I started to sleep and 
my phone rang. It was the chair. Like, uh, where are sorry, you? Sorry, I'm you sorry. <laughs> <laughs> we need to circulate this text. You know, these three texts have to go down now. And I was like, oh, okay. So that's what happens. So you had 30 seconds instead of 10 minutes. Well, probably a minute to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> what was the karaoke that was being played? Oh, there's lots of music that was yeah. being played by ambassadors and this drafting screen, you know, became, mm. you know, where we had the lyrics, you know, so you could actually read and it was, it was good. Do you, you know, remember to... any of the songs that were some ABBA? Well, I don't no, think it or... was ABBA, but yeah, lots I of music. I Will Survive. Probably I Will Survive. Of course. Winner Takes It All. I think we well. should have thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> I was not there, so <laughs> it was just after John to distribute the documents. <laughs> <laughs> What about you, Ambassador? Any particular anecdote from this meeting that stands out? Yes, two, but I cannot tell them. <laughs> okay. We will have to wait 25 years until it becomes unclassified, I guess. <laughs> Great. Ambassador Shambhove, Joan, thank you very much. We really appreciate you sharing your time with us and talking about the important outcomes that were achieved uh, through the outcome document as well as uh, on W2 reform. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. With this episode about the forward-looking issues of WTO reform and e-commerce, our podcast season on the results of the 12th WTO Ministerial Conference comes to an end. We hope you enjoyed listening to the assessments of the people at the heart of the negotiations and the behind-the-scenes stories they shared with us. The package of agreements WTO members secured at MC12 provides concrete trade-related responses to important challenges facing the world today. The deal shows the world that WTO members can come together across geopolitical fault lines to negotiate multilateral outcomes and to reinforce and reinvigorate this institution. Thanks for tuning in to Season 4 of Let's Talk Trade. Please subscribe to this podcast in your favorite player to get notified of upcoming seasons. There's more to come.